It was the most significant moment of his life and the most stressful. It was a crucial clash with hundreds against him and thousands watching. For three years, they had searched for him. For three years, they had called him trouble. And for three years, they had waited for rain. But he knew that before the rain could come, fire had to fall. It was a simple contest, really. The God who answers with fire, that's the real God. And so you had 450 prophets of Baal on one side and just one, the prophet of the Lord, Elijah, on the other. And in his mind, he felt alone. He felt like he was the only one in the whole nation of Israel who still followed God. It was where tension was at its highest, almost palpable, and the crowd watching was unsure. This is where everything was on the line. And so the prophets of Baal, they spent their hours, they had their hundreds, they danced, they chanted, they cut themselves so the blood would run, but they couldn't come up with a spark. Elijah, on the other hand, he wasn't interested in sparks. He asked people to pour bucket after bucket again and again, covering the sacrifice with water till it drenched into the wood and covered the stones and filled a trench that falled around the outside. And then he prayed. He prayed and he asked God to make himself known to all who were there and to turn the hearts of the people of Israel back to him. But he didn't end his prayer with an amen. He ended his prayer with the fire of the Lord falling down, consuming the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and licking up the water. Everyone fell to their faces, amazed that this was the one true and living God. It was victory. It was vindication. But the job wasn't over yet because... There were some false prophets to round up and deal with. There was a king, a wicked king, to inform that the rain was finally coming, and then Elijah still had to pray, agonizing prayer until that first little cloud appeared. But even then, he wasn't done. He had to run 17 miles to get ahead of the king to the place of the king's palace. And when he arrived, there was a message, but it was delivered to him. Elijah, your life is forfeit. Sincerely, the queen. And so again, Elijah found himself running, not to deliver a message, not to command in the name of the Lord, but running for his very life. And he had to be wondering, why? Why is this happening to me? I did all that the Lord asked. The rain came, and still they want me dead. The fire fell, proving that God was true, and still I am alone. And then 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, he went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. On May 24th, 2003, Biola University professor J.P. Moreland woke up at 2.30 a.m., dripping with sweat, feeling like his heart was going to beat right out of his chest, and his body was just felt like it was filled with electricity. 
He writes about that. He said, it was as though I sensed a large tiger was in the house and I went from room to room trying to figure out what was wrong. J.P. Moreland was having a severe panic attack. First one he never had. He hoped that walking would help, so he went outside and walked until the sun came up, and then he kept walking for that entire weekend, but the whole time he had this overwhelming sense of anxiety, and it didn't end there. For seven months, he experienced daily panic attacks and intense anxiety during all his waking hours. He couldn't see the world anymore for what it really was. Every email sent him into a spin. His heart was pounding every time the phone rang. Freeway driving? No way, it was too much for him. Going to his grandchildren's soccer game? Nope, couldn't do it, it was too much. It was all too much. He later wrote, I never seriously contemplated suicide, but many times I asked God to kill me in an automobile accident or in some other way. I thought my whole life had been a waste and I saw no purpose for living. I wanted to die so that the pain would go away. J.P. Moreland was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, one of about seven different anxiety disorders that affect around 46 million people in the United States alone, or about one in every five people. Think about that stat for a moment, one in every five, because think about how many people are in your row, how many people are in your aisle, how many people are in this room. One in five are suffering with this. By the way, if this was a, a woman's event and there was only women in the room, it'd be one in four. Or if this was a college meeting, it'd be half, one out of every two. Generalized anxiety, social anxiety, phobias, post-traumatic stress disorder, separation anxiety, panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder. And that's not even including depression, which accounts for about 7% of the population and a lot of the same people who are experiencing one are experiencing the other. This is an important issue. And it's not an important issue because it affects 20% of the people, but because it affects 100% of us here today. You see, because these people are our friends, they're our spouses, they're our children, they're our parents, our neighbors, our church family, our coworkers. These are non-Christians and these are followers of Christ who love him dearly, who are dealing with this. And we want to love them all with real love. But real love isn't always the easy answer that we want it to be. We hear the terms like anxiety and anxious, and we open up our Bibles, and we turn to the first uh, scriptures that we think will help. And so we read, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Or Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we think, good, that, that helps me. I'll share it with them, and it'll be fixed. You're welcome. We solved it. Don't be anxious. Well, maybe. I want to talk for just a moment about who those scriptures are helpful for and, and who they're not. You see, they're helpful for people like myself and, and that other, that 80% who on occasion do get overwhelmed with the details of life, right? As stress goes up, this, uh, those feelings get up. We get caught up in worry sometimes and work assignments or the safety of our kids or what's coming up next week. And in those moments, we get consumed so we forget about God's providential care. It's helpful for the people who have the ability to say, you know what, you're right. I was focusing on my worries too much. I, I should pray about that. 
I should trust God for the things that are really outside of my control. But there are others for whom it's just not helpful in the same way. And we have a video this morning, and I know this is surprising, but sometimes we have technical difficulties. <laughs> and so what I'm going to do is it's going to, for a lot of you who won't be able to see this, it's going to be an audio clip. Just think of it like that. But we have a picture we'll put up on the screen. And then I'm going to play... Oh, you know what, Jack? I don't, I don't have an audio port. So we're going to play it into this microphone. And if you're up in the first two rows with good eyes, you'll be able to see it. I think. I have anxiety. It feels like every cell in my body is moving so fast that my veins are blurry. That despite the constant metronome of my heartbeat inside my ears, it's like listening to a spastic drum broken white noise machine playing all of the sounds at once, and I don't even realize I'm gritting my teeth or cracking my knuckles or rubbing my forefinger against my pinky or twisting the gold band on my middle finger, holding onto myself like I'm the only lifeline bridging the gap between reality on my own two feet and the atomic loud abyss of noises and sounds and feelings of bleeding rushing through my veins. And I'm avoiding eye contact. Not because I'm not listening to what you're saying, because I'm listening to the sound of my own voice. Hoping that through your ears you can't hear that it's two octaves too high and on the verge of breaking because my palms are sweating and I somehow forgot to speak with anything behind my words other than insecurity. My anxiety feels like fiber. Unexplainably hot and rash and frustrating as I nod the inside of my cheek as if the solution to this feeling is buried between my teeth and gums. It feels like drowning, but it feels like burning. Somehow it feels like I'm moving faster than the 60 seconds they've allowed in a minute. All the while, I'm just playing catch-up on the stock market. It doesn't add up like it did in high school mathematics. I can't carry the one and find the square root of the problem because most of the time, there is no problem. There's no life or death situation. There's no rhyme or reason. There is just feelings, and I'm feeling all of them at once. Did you know there's people who are feeling that on a daily basis? You see, part of the problem to begin with is that the word anxiety just means too many things. And so it seems to have lost its meaning. In its most basic form, anxiety is just a word that means a feeling of uneasiness or distress or a sort of apprehension. You might have some apprehension about going to perform at karaoke. Or you might have a little bit distressed because you know there's a work review this week. Or you might feel some general uneasiness because you wore jeans that were just a little too tight and you've been in them all day long and you're done. <laughs> Anxiety is a normal reaction to stress, which means that in some situations it can be really helpful because it can make us alert to danger. It can help us to prepare for that test and it can help us to pay attention. So if a gunman walks into the room, you should feel distress because you should, and you should feel anxiety because it's what your body needs to feel in order to help you stay alive in that moment. And yet for others, like the woman in this video, there's a type of anxiety that is going on in their body where they have those same intense feelings, the same firing of neurons and chemicals and heart rate, but the gunman isn't ever there. And they need care in a way that goes beyond simple Bible verses. And I, I believe God's word has something very important to say to those who are suffering 
as well as to those who are in the lives of sufferers. They're placed by God to extend real love in the midst of their anxiety or depression. And so the big idea this morning is that we need a holistic view of God's care for his people that is actually founded on the gospel. We need a holistic view of God's care for his people that is founded on the gospel. There's a funny series of books for kids called Flat Stanley. I only discovered them with my own kids, but apparently they've been around since the 60s. But in this story, uh, this ordinary kid, a bulletin board falls off onto him, and he's still four feet tall, but he's only about a half inch thick. And he gets to do some really cool things, like he can slide under a door that is locked, or he can fold himself into an envelope and mail himself to another state, or he can attach a string and be flown like a kite. It's a fun story. It's a kid's story. And he still really looks like a kid. What the author has done is removed and left no room for what is actually humanly necessary uh, to be on the inside. In a similar way, last time I was up here speaking before you, I talked about how our culture regularly flattens us out by only talking about the physical being that is you and neglecting the inner being or the soul. And yet, sometimes Christians are in danger of doing the exact opposite talking about our souls and forgetting that we have a body. A look at God's holistic care for us begins with understanding that we are bodies and souls. The soul enlivens the body and the body interacts with the soul. And in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, every part of our body, our brain, the nervous system, our digestive tract, every little cell, And every faculty of our soul, our mind, our spirit, our will, and emotions, all of it was affected. Our sinful world and our own sin leaves us with a holistic, meaning a total brokenness. And the good news is that God offers a holistic solution in Jesus Christ. And it begins with forgiveness of sin, and it begins with reconciliation with God, and it begins with eternal life, but it doesn't end there. You see, it's a renewal of all that is within us, the healing of our entire selves, body and soul. We're promised something in the Hebrew mind they called shalom, God making our bodies, our souls, our relationships, even our world whole again. And yet we look around or we look in the mirror and we know we're not there yet. Well, why is that important for those suffering with depression or an anxiety disorder? Because in God's holistic means of care, we can recognize that he works through supernatural, instantaneous means, as well as ordinary, natural, long-term means of care. And I want to look at four of these categories. The first one is physical means of care. Following the three years of feeling hunted and alone, Elijah's mountaintop, high-stress, high-emotion event for the purpose of declaring God as the only true God, it results in a totally wiped out human who thought really in his own mind that it was all for nothing. Whether it was actually clinical PTSD or something else, what we see when we read it clearly as victory, he saw as total defeat, as a personal failure. He did what God asked, but he didn't get the results that he hoped for, and so he asked God to take his life. Uh, If you and I were to hop in a time machine and go back there, we'd say, Elijah, come on. You're missing the point. God's still there. That was a victory. 
And we'd say, you just need to pray and, you know, have faith. And we'd probably point him to Philippians. But what does God do? Look at verse 5, continuing in 1 Kings. It says, and he lay down, talking about Elijah, and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked. And behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Don't you love that? God let him sleep and used an angel to wake him up and gave him food. And then he slept and then he let him eat again. God didn't pester him, he didn't lecture him, he didn't critique him. Instead, God took steps to tend to Elijah's soul by first taking care of his body because the one affects the other. As the famous Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once said himself, I don't know if you knew this, a lifelong sufferer of depression. He said, a mouthful of sea air or a stiff walk in the wind's face would not give grace, that is directly to the soul, would not give grace to the soul, but it would yield oxygen to the body, which is next best. See, physical solutions do have a part to play, meaning diet, exercise, and sleep all have their place in helping people find their strength for the journey, their mental health. And if a despairing soul can begin to be helped with these physical elements that we recognize, then we should also pay attention to the chemical part of our bodies and brains. This is... uh, the same way that someone who is suffering with migraines or maybe a diabetic or someone with a pinched nerve will seek out medical help so they can function normally because they know it affects them, so too those suffering with anxiety or depression may find that they need medical care to help them regain their mental and emotional abilities. Unfortunately, for some reason, in the church for a long time, there's been a religious stigma equating medication with a lack of faith. But I think this fails to see anxiety disorders for what it really is. There's a medical need, and we need to allow people to find the appropriate medical care. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about medicine alone, just like I wouldn't be up here talking about going running alone as the cure. But we'd be foolish to say that it has no place in a Christian's attempt at recovery because God does work through physical means to provide care. He also works through psychological means of care. You know, the the Psalms, which is one of my favorite books in the Bible, is really an emotional guidebook. And within it are incredible examples of some practices that I think are important to developing and maintaining mental health. Psalm 42 and 43 models something psychologists called self-talk. You know that everyone talks to themselves, right? Like, that's not just you. It only becomes weird when it's out loud. Um, but he uses self-talk as an, a, a, to reorient an experience that he's going through that is so traumatic, and he does so by telling himself the bigger truth that he's not really feeling, feeling at that moment. Verse 5 of Psalm 42, it's also verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, the psalmist is working to take care of himself even as he is crying out and waiting on God to move. 
The Psalms also mo model something else called honest expression. In fact, 40% of the Psalms are something called laments, brutally honest complaints to God. And that's another important component of mental health, that honest expression. Other techniques featured in the Psalms are asking the Lord to partner with you in self-assessment like we see in Psalm 139. And more than a tenth of the Psalms help us to create a habit of gratitude, which studies show has one of the strongest links to mental health and satisfaction in life. God's ways are clearly the best ways. However, sometimes we need someone else to help us develop and practice these sorts of techniques or to help us discover what's getting in the way. And this is where we believe that counseling can be a great help. It's actually why South Shores Church has uh, biblical counseling. You can see that information in your bulletin and on the back of your notes because we believe God works through psychological means to provide care. He also works through relational means. The Bible is so clear and prevalent about its, the importance of friendships. They are blessings and unity and it's uh, love and bearing each other's burdens. But I think perhaps one of the most dramatic and poignant examples of, uh, of this sort of love and care comes from the night when Jesus was betrayed. Here was Jesus at his most distressed highest sort of feeling anxiety level moment and he invites three of his closest friends to come be with him through it now they failed miserably they were totally not there for him and fell asleep every time but it doesn't take away from the value of what jesus understood as the need for friendship in the midst of suffering because god works through those relational means to provide care and then finally spiritual means of care God can, and I want to say this clearly, God can give supernatural healing and he can give supernatural peace beyond understanding in response to prayer. So with the psalmist, we should still cry out, rescue me. With Peter, we should try casting all our anxieties or cares on God because God truly does care for us. And with Paul, we trust that God is near and therefore we do try to replace our anxious thoughts through making our requests known to God. You see, some of these same verses that flippantly tossed out that can cause harm can also be the ones that cause healing and bring comfort when they're not seen as a quick fix, but actually part of an enduring promise of what God is able to do in your life because God works through spiritual means to provide care. And yet in all of this, as we are understanding these scriptures, we need to have a bigger view of what the Bible talks about suffering. And that is that God's ultimate goal and his glory is through, is his glory through your full and complete restoration. And he can, and he will use this life and all the aspects of it and even suffering and even your anxiety in order to make you whole, in order to bring him glory. Which means that sometimes the faithful will ask and they won't receive. Like Paul asking three times for God to remove this thorn in his flesh but God's saying this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Because not being healed does not mean that God's grace is not at work in your life. However, what this understanding of God's holistic or total care should do is to free you to ask for God's healing while also taking ordinary steps in the physical and psychological and relational realms to get better, trusting that God is at work all along the way. 
because that is God's holistic care. However, it's not God's ultimate care. Now, it's common knowledge among psychologists that when people lose a sense of purpose or lose a sense of meaning in life, they are far more likely to develop uh, anxiety or depression. And culture's caught on and, and are seeing people suffering from these things. And so lots of different life-type purposes and meanings are, are being thrown out and are flying around to try to help fill people up with something, anything that matters just to try and keep them living. Even just this week, and I'm sure you're all familiar with this, Beyonce, uh, she had a new album that came out. You all are streaming it, I see. <laughs> well, the, the first track on this new album is called Bigger, and in this, it's very clear from the lyrics that she is trying to offer a, a new vision for people, trying to help people find significance in themselves and, and to see that life can be bigger than the expectations that people have thrust upon them. Okay, it's a bigger vision, but... By the end of the song, you're still wondering, well, what is it? Because it has no real substance. But Christ does. In fact, as we talked about, Christians, yes, have Christ and yet struggle with anxiety. And that sounds difficult to understand. And yet, what's important to be reminded of the foundation that all of God's holistic care is sitting on top of, which is the inexhaustible grace of the gospel. That because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, he is offering you a new life, not based on what you do or what you feel, but on what Christ has done. He's offering you a new purpose that is larger than ourselves and is based in God's power. He's offering you a new relationship with God the Father who has adopted you and loves you. He's offering you a new assurance the promise of full rest, of peace, protection, and healing. But with that, also a new outlook so that when we're asked to wait for the fulfillment of those promises and we don't understand why, we trust that God has a better reason for why it's delayed. And we're also given a new family of care. Now, when you are saved, when you trust your life to Jesus Christ, he not only guarantees your forgiveness, but he gives you a family, a people who want to walk with us and bear our burdens as their own. And so if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Christ, it's not something you've been interested in, first of all, just I'm glad you're here anyway. I'm glad you're here willing to sit along with us and, and hear our songs and, and listen to what we believe comes from this ancient text, which is God revealing himself to us. But if you're also here and you're suffering with anxiety without a faith in Christ, I want to tell you this. Doing what so many of us have done to entrust our lives to Jesus does not mean that the anxiety will go away like this. That's not promised. But to not entrust your life to Christ is to never find true wholeness and peace. Because apart from him, it can't be found. In the gospel of Jesus, we find God's ultimate care. So what do we have to offer others? Well, I'd like to start once again with our, really our theme scripture from the series that Pastor Micah brought up two weeks ago, because I believe it sets us on the right foot for thinking through how are we supposed to love anyone, no matter what they're like. And that's Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. It says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so it's in the spirit of that scripture that I'd like to offer four suggestions for what you can do to help those in your life. First of all, you can help to end the stigma. End the stigma of anxiety, end the stigma of depression, end the stigma of therapy and medication by, first of all, educating yourself on these issues. And then when you see people taking the steps that they need to find help, you applaud them, you encourage them in that. I have a book I'd love to recommend. It's on the back of your notes there, and I have it up here. It's a book called Finding Quiet by J.P. Moreland. And this would be a great resource in helping you grow in your understanding. And it's really for those with or without anxiety. And it's a book born out of his journeys with anxiety and the learnings and the struggles and the practices that helped to bring him peace in partnership with God. And even more, he believes he has found really uh, just tremendous joy in Christ, even through continuing difficulties of life. I actually will have two copies of this up here in case there's some people who just can't wait for Amazon to bring it and need to just start it now. Second suggestion I'd love to give is to listen. To listen, to walk with, and understand your friend instead of focusing on diagnosing, fixing, or nagging them for help. One guy I was reading who struggles with this, he said, to have those few beloved friends who know we have anxiety and know it makes us act weird, but they're cool with it, and they still love us and pray for us and let us deal with it the best way we know how, that is such a blessing from God. Third suggestion is to give grace. Give grace by pointing to the hope of the gospel and giving them a reason to, have, uh, to give thanks to God. Give them that instead of the pithy statements that result in guilt and shame. And then finally, let them be honest. There's people that are afraid of getting help, that are afraid of what people will think, afraid that you'll think that they're less of a Christian or less of a person if they share with you. Be a person that they find safe and they can be honest with. That way you'll know how to pray for them and you'll know how to love them and they'll feel understood. You know, if you finish the rest of Elijah's story, you'll find that after God provided for the physical needs and brought him to the mountain of God, Elijah had a very big but also a very short-sighted complaint. And God graciously brings an answer to that, not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in a whisper, because I think that's what Elijah needed to hear. But Elijah still was too damaged from what he had gone through to really understand what God was trying to tell him. And so what does he do at that moment? He says the exact same complaint again, word for word. So what does God do with them? Well, he gives them a simple set of tasks. He encourages them with the truth that he's not actually alone. And then he sends them to find a friend who would walk with him till his final days when ultimately God tenderly takes him home. It's a tender ending. God doesn't chastise him for missing the point, but I think it shows in the heart of God, he knows that this man in his human frailty was broken. He was broken through the high stress. He was broken through the years living alone. He was broken through these emotionally demanding situations. So ultimately, 
God decides to take him to heaven without suffering through the pain of dying in order to be healed. Elijah's story is a difficult yet important picture, the depth of brokenness within us, even in the prophets of God, not necessarily caused by their own sin, but by the sinful world he and we still live in. Yet God led him through, led him through the pain, through the anxiety, through the depression, through the triumphal moments and the tragic ones. God stayed with him in his doubt, cared for his body, and ultimately healed his soul by his own presence. You see, ultimately, it wasn't about Elijah. He's not the one to bring healing, not to Israel, not to the nations. Ultimately, it wouldn't come from calling down fire from heaven or even the rain, but Elijah serves to point to a better savior who would come down, Jesus, a man of sorrows, who understands your grief and who meets you in your pain, and what's more, purchased your final healing with his own blood. Jesus suffered for the suffering, and he said then, and he still says today, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the clear examples in Scripture of how, how you work in the lives of your people. And Lord, I pray this morning for those who are struggling from anxiety, Lord, but maybe haven't felt the freedom to pursue and get the help that they need. Lord, I pray that today they would. They would see that that is possible. Lord, I pray for those who are in this room that are a friend, a spouse, a family member, that they would um, pursue the understanding they need so they could be God's instrument of peace in that person's life. And Lord, I pray for those this morning who do not believe, who have not yet seen that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and have not confessed their sins to him or trusted their lives to him. Lord, I pray that they would, and they'd find someone here to continue that discussion so that they would make that choice to follow you for the rest of their days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand.